Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Back to school raises difficult questions about back to school safety. Plus, the sunscreen drama of TikTok has finally hit Utah. Salt Lake Tribune reporter Andy Larson is here to round up city news with me and share some picks of the week. It's Friday, August 18th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Andy Larson, welcome. Happy Friday. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Let's get into the news of the week. Waste no time. There's lots to cover today. So Salt Lake City School District is back to school on Tuesday, which is weird, right? Not Monday? Yeah, it feels like you get one last three-day weekend of freedom before you you start school, right? That's true. <laughs> I love the implication that school. I take it you didn't love school, Andy. <laughs> no, I honestly loved school. Uh, what we're about to talk about may make it feel more prison-like. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah, so, I mean, what school officials have to deal with this year, specifically in the Salt Lake School District, is quite a bit. We have a new superintendent, Dr. Elizabeth Grant. She's got a lot on her plate. But this past spring, five Utah schools dealt with fake threats, hoax threats. So that might have been like someone calling it a bomb or a shooting threat. Um, None of them, thank God, were real. But everyone agrees that fake threats are also unacceptable. It causes undue stress for parents and students and employees. And this is something I learned I have to give a shout out, Andy, to your colleagues at the Salt Lake Tribune, by the way, for their reporting, their back to school reporting. It's been fantastic, Um, specifically Michael Lee and Carmen Nesbitt. But these hoax threats are a strain on our healthcare system because when the hospitals get word that there's been a threat, they basically prepare their emergency rooms to receive patients. How dark is that? Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. It's a nightmare, right? Like every time this happens. Yeah. So... One thing that school officials and also now members of the Utah legislature are trying to figure out is, what do we do, right? How do we stop this? And there are basically three things on the table. And I got to say, I don't know that any of them are universally popular. But the first one is, of course, upgrade the law, right? So Representative Ryan Wilcox, who's a Republican from Ogden, he gave a press conference last week. He said, let's make calling in a hoax threat to a school a felony because right now it's a class B misdemeanor. And even that is a little bit spotty. Like they kind of charge depending on how the information is quote unquote delivered, which is bizarre to me. But Class B misdemeanor in Utah, punishable by up to six months of jail and fines of up to $1,000. Representative Wilcox says, let's pass a bill that unilaterally makes calling in a hoax threat to a school a second-degree felony, which is punishable by up to 15 years in prison 
and up to $10,000 in fines. I would like to get your temp check on this, Andy. Do you think this is going to work? I mean, here's the thing. Who's making these bomb threats? And, and, and I would imagine that it's kids trying to avoid a test mm-hmm. or kid who just broke up with Becca and Becca is going to be at school the next day and doesn't want to see Becca. And like, well, I, I, I don't actually know that this is the case. I don't have any data that shows that the people who are making bomb threats to schools are overwhelmingly teenagers rather than adults, right? But I'm a little bit worried about a crime that I imagine at least to be mostly teenager driven to turn that into a felony and kind of ruin the rest of their lives because the the breakup with Becca was was so tough. You know, like I think that's a little bit scary. And I I don't know that like the misdemeanor versus felony difference matters or is even something that these kids are going to be aware of. I mean, if you equate it to fake calling 911, which like... There has been decades, I feel like, of education about why you should not hoax call 911. And I have to imagine that people still do it. This is definitely a new phenomenon, of course, resulting from the prevalence of gun violence. But yeah, I mean, make something more illegal is always going to be kind of a tough sell for me. I mean, I would say in a similar vein, something the Salt Lake City School District is looking to do is install metal detectors and security guards at their four high schools. So that's East High, West High, Highland High, and then Horizonte Training Center. And they're asking the school board for $1.1 million to do that. And there are some school board members that are skeptical. I mean, it's happening. They took a vote. But we heard from Ashley Anderson. We heard from two school board members of color, Mohamed Bayed and Nate Salazar, that when we install more security guards, basically when we put more cops in schools, that can create a lot of discomfort for students of color. They worry about racial profiling, et cetera. Of course, the sort of argument from those in support of weapon detectors is, well, a weapon detector takes the bias out of it, right? Like it's just this metal machine that everyone's got to walk through. And so there is something sort of equitable about that. But another thing that folks on the school board are pointing to is there really isn't a ton of evidence that these like metal detector, x-ray machine, like the kind of TSA screening at schools, there's not a ton of evidence that it actually like impacts school violence. Like it's, it's questionable. And actually, The Department of Education and Homeland Security did a report in 2021, and that was that was their finding that it was, quote unquote, questionable. So, I mean, do we invest in this kind of technology if we're not even certain it works? Side note, kind of (laughs) crazy to see a report from the Department of Homeland Security that screening technology doesn't necessarily work, given that it's in every (laughs) American airport. Yeah, but we know that doesn't work either. Reasonable, like I think the people who are putting metal detectors in schools are are doing the best they can and trying to be reasonable about it. But I yeah. also think that like there is kind of like this very psychological effect too of going to school every day and going through a metal detector, right? And dealing with the rent-a-cop that runs the metal detector. I guess we'll call them yeah. security guards. We'll give them, you know, respect. Uh, you know, I think that's tough. Um, and this place where you go every day not being seen as a safe space is is just a, a tough reality for, for kids to live in. Um, right. And, you know, whatever schools can do to kind of minimize that as as much as possible, I think is probably worth doing. 
Yeah, I mean, going to high school is already an emotionally charged experience. Yeah. <laughs> I went to a high school with metal detectors. And Did you? yes, well, in the great state of Florida, and where you can, I mean, basically now just take a gun anywhere. So, <laughs> but um, I will say this there was still plenty of violence at my high school. It happened, you know, just on the other side of the street off campus, right? And creating an ambiance of violence by looking to detect weapons. Yeah, it didn't de-escalate. It is not a de-escalation tactic. It doesn't it didn't feel like one to me as as a teenager. But this third option that's on the table, I got to quickly name because it's yeah. it's kind of crazy to me, like it's very futuristic. So the Utah legislature has set aside 3 million dollars in grants so that schools can install an AI gun detection program called Zero Eyes. And Zero Eyes is a company that was founded by four former Navy SEALs who got fed up with gun violence in schools, specifically after the shooting in Parkland, Florida. So Zero Eyes is basically security cameras that are watching classrooms. And if a Zero Eyes camera detects a threat or a the presence of a weapon – they will immediately dispatch alerts and information to local staff and law enforcement in three to five seconds, which includes a visual description, the gun type, and the last known location of the weapon. I mean, that is some high-level shit. Yeah, that seems better to me. And I know that's like a camera in every classroom, and so it's kind of, you know, Orwellian in that way. But, like, I, I prefer that to the obvious metal detectors on at, at classrooms, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that makes more sense and I, I feel better about it. I I'm don't necessarily know how well I expect that to work, you know? So like, okay, so you're a kid and you brought a gun to school and you it's in your backpack and you want to kill another kid, that's bad. Uh, you know, once you get the gun out and law enforcement's alerted in three to five seconds, you might've already done the shooting. Listen, I mean, what's absolutely true is that I don't envy any of these school board members or administrators yeah. that have to figure this out. Yeah, and it, it's not what they signed up for and not, you know, what it's it just sucks all the way around. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's Hot Cross Buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. And now for something completely different. <laughs> yes. We're going to talk about sunscreen. I I'm really excited. And Ali, I pitched this to you uh, as my 
very favorite topic this week. Uh, well, you are quite fair, Andy Larson. Uh, so. I <laughs> need sunscreen very badly. Um, and I learned so much about sunscreen in the course of researching this. It's, it's oh crazy, including God. the drama that's happening in Congress this week, uh, including from, a, from Utah Senator Mike Lee. Yeah, Mike Lee rolling around in the sunscreen with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. What an unlikely pairing to be taking on the sunscreen wars. <laughs> Very fun stuff. Uh, yeah. So this is intense drama. So, OK, I'm going to start at the beginning. Like modern sunscreen started in like 1946. And uh, they're kind of basically two different kinds of sunscreens. There's physical filters, uh, you know, the filter that blocks the sun from getting to your skin. Okay. Like zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. Those are kind of the sunscreens that like when you first put them on, they have like that white uh, kind of chalky sensation. I'm deeply opposed to those. Yeah. yeah. That's like the tr you get tourist nose. Yes, exactly. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Those are those kind of sunscreens. And then there's chemical filter, chemical filter sunscreen, which is like the most of the other kinds of sunscreen. So, you know, honestly, I have the cheap bottle from Smith's right here. Uh, it's got four different kind of chemicals in it. And basically those chemicals absorb the sun's rays. Uh, and there's a chemical reaction that turns that kind of UV light into heat and mm. kind of neutralizes it. Cool. Okay. So what's happened is in the U.S., the U.S. turns out to regulate sunscreens differently than the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world regulates them as cosmetics, like makeup or you know whatever, yeah. so that they're not really strictly regulated, you know, studied, safety tested before they go out on the market. It's kind of like, hey, if you put out an unsafe makeup on the market, you can do that, but you're going to get sued afterwards if you know you end up causing rashes or whatever, right? Right, kind of a go with God approach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buyer beware, frankly. Yeah. And then with the in the U.S. with the FDA, we regulate sunscreen as a drug. Like, hey, this is a product that is used to prevent skin cancer and melanoma and sunburn. And so, as a result, in order for you to put a sunscreen on the market, it has to be kind of tested you know, in all the same drug ways. Yeah. And you have to, you know, put in millions of dollars in order to test it. So what we have right now is a situation where Europe and Asia have just truly awesome new sunscreens, state-of-the-art sunscreens yeah. that have the latest filters. Uh, and and yeah. they work so much better that the sunscreen protection lasts longer. Uh, and, and then the sunscreens, like, actually just feel better on your skin. So, you know, like, our sunscreens are super greasy and oily and kind of sticky. Theirs feel like normal lotion or normal moisturizer. They're like, ah, this is magnifique. You know, yeah. like, they're, they're terrific. Oh, I know, because my friend Kate is basically buying Korean sunscreen on the black market. And it's all she she's like, this is the moment she's in right now. I know she's listening, too, and she's going to be pissed at me. But like, this is her scene. And Kate has beautiful skin. So like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, we should trust Kate on skincare issues, right? Like, <laughs> Good point. Yes. So the U.S. hasn't approved a new sunscreen filter since 1999. So wow. the last 24 years of sunscreen development and, you know, whatever has been kind of ignored by the U.S. And that's pretty frustrating to U.S. consumers like Kate and frankly, me. Yeah. So it's also bad for our brand as like, you know, an innovator, a global innovator. Right. And, and so like. Uh, honestly, that's one reason Mike Lee is kind of joining this fight is because he sees it as basically deregulation um, mm. that allows 
you know, consumers to have more choices on the sunscreen market. Now, the FDA has been told to allow better sunscreens in the past. In 2014, in fact, Congress passed and Obama signed into law this law called the Sunscreen Innovation Act that was basically like, hey, FDA, get your act together and uh, approve these uh, European chemicals that are used uh, around the world for sunscreen. Hmm. And the FDA was like, no, we reject these filters and instead we're going to ask them for more data because they weren't sure that they wouldn't, you know, cause cancer or cause birth defects down the road. And, you know, their point kind of makes some sense. And the sunscreen makers are like, dude, come on now. Like, it's been used by hundreds of millions of people in Europe and Asia and Korea and Japan, you know, wherever else, like, sunscreens are made. Right. People have been using these for 20 years now and, you know, yeah, no, we haven't seen a baby with four arms yet, you know? Right. So like your American exceptionalism is showing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and um, so anyway, the and, and the FDA has always had this kind of issue where they want studies to be done on Americans, which is kind of interesting. But they're, they're just so, so cautious because they know, again, it's their asses on the line if sunscreen is bad. Yeah. So here's the one thing, you'll read all of that in every sunscreen article you read this week. Okay. But here's one thing that you won't read because I dug into these FDA letters uh, with reckless abandon earlier this oh week. Oh my God. The FDA is now pissed about it and they're going, <gasps> they're threatening to go the other way. They're threatening, in fact, to pull what's called generally recognized as safe and effective uh, approval for every chemical sunscreen. So anything that doesn't use the zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, the ones that are like, you know, the chalky tourist nose sunscreens, they're pulling to remove approval for those unless they get more data, right? So like- Kate listening now just threw her computer out a window. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, 10,000 people a year die of skin cancer. I mean, Utah has the highest rate of melanoma in the nation. Yes, this is a big deal for us. We're outdoorsy people. And yeah. this is a big deal here locally. And I, I think, you know, essentially the, their point is like, you know, we just got to stop worrying that this stuff, you know, causes birth defects 50, 100 years down the road and instead realize like, hey, we're kind of in a tough situation right now with, you know, more than two people die of skin cancer every hour. Let's try to make it easier to use sunscreen so, you know, these melanomas aren't caused. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I'm kind of of two minds on this. I hate to be that guy. Yeah. But like on the one hand, it does sound like the FDA is being a little bit petty. Like in the reality TV version of this argument, everyone's in the <laughs> living room screaming at each other about sunscreen and the FDA is in the confessional booth being like, you know what? I'm taking away all the sunscreen. They exactly. don't deserve the sunscreen. They don't appreciate me. They don't see me, right? Like, mm -hmm. And so – it seems like they're maybe not willing to play fair. And I can see, again, it feels like we are living in a moment where experts are being told to shut up and sit down while non-experts yell at each other online. Right? 100%. And, like, and so I like, don't... if I'm an FDA scientist, I'm feeling that and I'm taking it personally. Absolutely. And 99% of the time, I'm not going to be pro-corporation over FDA scientists, right? Like, Correct. <laughs> that's, Correct. Companies will say and do things for profit motive. Well, um, and that's that would be my, like, the other mind I'm of is we are also living in a time where, man, the health and wellness contingent of the internet is on here making incredibly slick videos, pushing all kinds of ideas and all kinds of products. 
And I do feel like that's getting a little bit out of hand. Like, if you scroll TikTok, I mean, especially if you're a woman and you've ever bought a skincare product online, you are getting served up all kinds of, quote unquote, miracle solutions, right? It's yeah. like, and it's not regulated and and everyone thinks they're an expert. And so I would like to see a little bit more regulatory intervention on that front. But again, to your point, like globally, if you put it in global context, it doesn't really make sense that we are at where we're at as a nation. Yeah, it, it just it's it's rough to be behind the rest of the the group, and you know, and honestly, like Americans like Kate can go on Amazon and buy Korean sunscreens. You know, like there there are just are people kind of going around the system right now. It's one of those things where everyone's acting. Kind of logically, I think even the FDA by remove threatening to remove the old sunscreens, even. But uh, in the end, like a bigger body needs to come in, like Congress, and say, "Okay, you know, I understand that you guys are doing your jobs here. The FDA is doing their job, trying to make sure that sunscreen is safe. But ultimately, like we're trying to prevent these ten thousand deaths per year, and uh, you know, look, we're just going to have to go with the public health interest here rather than the." Uh, kind of the, the the public health overrides the kind of safety risk given the decades of data that we have on real humans uh, and sunscreen in Europe and Asia and everywhere else in the world. Yeah. But can I tell you some more sunscreen facts, by the way, oh even though God. I'm not a professor of derm dermatology at the Huntsman Cancer Institute? You can tell me one, and then we're going to go to pick of the week. Tell me one. Okay. You're supposed to use one ounce of sunscreen every time you, you use sunscreen. So a shot glass of sunscreen. Huh. So yeah. like my bottle of sunscreen here, on how much of an area? Your body, your okay. your whole body. So like this bottle here, this is a pretty big bottle. It's eight ounces. So I'm supposed to use one eighth of this every time you use sunscreen. People generally use half to a third of that. That's eight days. One bottle is eight days of sun protection is what you're telling me. Yeah. And in fact, if like you're going camping or backpacking or whatever, and you just want to know how much sunscreen to bring, like that's a good way to think about it. It's like, hey, every time I reapply, I'm going to be using one ounce of sunscreen. So this is how much I need to bring. Wow. I love how you contextualize it as a shot glass for me. <laughs> you yeah. really speak my language, Andy. <laughs> okay. Happy to be here. On that note, let's do pick of the week and then get out of here. Andy okay. Larson, what is your pick of the week? So I'm excited this weekend is the Utah Beer Fest uh, mm. run by City Weekly mm -hmm. at Granary Live. Yeah, that new venue. It's really things are really popping off over there. Yeah. Have you been there? No, I haven't. Neither have I. I'm I'm really kind of curious because the, the Utah Beer Festival is kind of hopped around recently. You know, it was at the Fair Park. Uh, then it was at the Gateway. And then now it's at Granary Live. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious about how it's going to go because I, I think the venue for a beer festival is actually really critical to, to you know, making the experience good. But, you know, live music, um, relatively cheap beer once you kind of like, if you drink enough, frankly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. What are the times? Uh, I believe it's 2 to 8 p.m. on both okay. Saturday and Sunday. Okay, because I'm thinking 2 p.m. at Granary Live, as I've uh, based on the photos I've seen, not a ton of shade. 8 p.m. could be lovely time to be outside. That's kind of my hope, but you know what I would prefer if there was shade at two and then sun at eight. 
because by eight, I won't feel anything, you know? No. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. I will be in my own little world of enjoying beer. You'll be handing out shot glasses of sunscreen to everyone. Yes. <laughs> You're going to be surveying the crowd very differently now that we've had this sunscreen conversation. Yeah. Okay, my pick of the week, I think you're going to like it because it is Utah Jazz related. We now have the Utah Jazz regular season schedule in front of us. And I mean, last year I tried to go to as many jazz games as possible, but it is a pretty expensive pursuit. And Shereen Gorbani was on the pod a week ago. We were talking about about time sports bars in the Valley. And she brought up this really interesting point that I'm kind of stuck on, which is... Wait, do we have a jazz bar? Like the same way that beer bar is sort of objectively our soccer bar, you know? Do yeah. we have, like, does Salt Lake have jazz bars? Where do you go to watch the jazz and know that you'll be an intense company? Yeah, you know, honestly, that place used to be Iggy's, you know, right there on Fourth mm. West and kind of by the stadium, but now that's closed. Yeah. The team has tried to contract with, uh, I think, even about time in the past, but also other like legends esque sports bars mm. around the mm -hmm. county and being like, hey, it, this is our watch party. Yeah. Basketball fans aren't like that, man. Like, I, I mean, there are obviously a ton of jazz fans and they're great, but, you know, unlike soccer and unlike football, it's, every other day, right? And so like, I, I, you know, I think jazz fans are much more comfortable watching the game from the comfort of their house rather than going to a sports bar. So like, there is no similar experience for that with, with basketball until you get to the playoffs. Okay, so then like March Madness, like that's sort of more concentrated. For sure. What are the, bas what are the general basketball bars? Uh, you know, honestly, if I want to watch March Madness in Utah, I'm going to like a very specific sports bar with a ton of TVs. And frankly, I'm thinking Brickyard Bar. And, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. You know, like, because there you've got four or five TVs all lined up in a row. Anywhere with four or five TVs lined up all in a row so you can watch the multiple games happening at the same time all at once. That's what you're going for. And honestly, it has been, I think, a pretty good environment to watch those games. Yeah, I don't mind that place. Good pub food, too. I think they do a pretty decent menu. I, I agree. And even there, you know, like it's it's nothing like a soccer game or a football game on a Saturday or Sunday. No. Agreed. Speaking of Saturday or Sunday, Andy Larson, have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much for ending the week with me. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Ivana Martinez and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria, and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria, with additional music from all the kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend. <laughs>